Well, we all love a good story. Uh, we grow up hearing once upon a time and heavily, happily ever, ever, ever after, maybe, maybe heavenly after, ever after as well. So we are wired to love stories. And story is the language of our hearts in every culture. No matter where you go in the world, stories speak to people's hearts. I love hearing stories, uh, but I'm not the best storyteller. Um, I am um, kind of, I, I like stories, but I don't like stories that drag out too long. Uh, so I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like a, like a right to the point kind of guy. And so sometimes I just want to get right to the point and not really kind of, you know, embellish that story. Um, my wife, however, is a better storyteller than I am. Uh, you know, me and her listen to uh, services throughout the week, listen to different sermons. And, and um, you know, when I come home from work, a lot of times she's like, oh, wait till, wait till I tell you this story. And uh, she's just a really good storyteller. So I'm working on it. Uh, so, so I appreciate your patience with me. But I remember growing up and listening to my grandpa, John Lezzi, tell stories. And he lived next door, so I had a real special bond. Uh, he was also, you know, he was my next-door neighbor. He was my grandpa, and he was also one of my best friends as well. He was uh, born in Hungary in a very poor village. Uh, he was a cook during World War II, and I remember him telling me stories about that. And, and he was actually held captive uh, for a little while. He came to America in the, right after World War II in the late 40s by boat, which took him two weeks on a boat. And uh, now this boat was, was not like the Royal Caribbean. Uh, it, was pretty, it was pretty rough. Um, and he, I remember him telling me the story of when, his, when the boat that he was in came to the port in New York City, and my grandpa John saw the Statue of Liberty for the first time, and he burst into tears because he had an opportunity to make a living, and he, uh, he, and he, he lived in freedom, finally. He, uh, he worked at a rubber factory called Johnson Rubber for 33 years, and he didn't miss one day of work in 33 years. And any opportunity he had to work overtime, he would, because he just, he just had, the, had the opportunity to make money. And um, so at my desk at my house, I have a plaque, his retirement plaque, that sits on my desk, uh, a retirement plaque of 33 years, and it just reminds me to work hard, all right? Like, we live in a society now where a lot of people just expect things just to be given to them, and they don't want to work for it, and it's just a good reminder uh, of my grandpa. So I loved hearing his stories. Uh, my son, Graydon, my oldest, he's, he uh, just turned eight years old. He loves to hear stories, but when you tell a story, you better pre be prepared that you you're making it flow. Because if you take like just like a little bit of pause to kind of catch your breath or grab your thoughts, he'll be like, and then what? And then, and then I'm like, you're like okay, let, let, me, let me just gather my thoughts here. And, they, and then what? And, uh, but he loves, he loves uh, uh, sharing stories and uh, love listening to stories. And, and a lot of times he'll say, well, and then what happened? What happened there? And he's so cute, and I, and I love it so much. But we all have a story. <clears throat> but what happens when our real-life experiences don't look anything like the storybooks we read growing up? During this three-week series, Storytellers, we will take a look at one of the greatest stories in the Bible, the life of Joseph. And I just love, uh, I've, I've read, the, read, the, read the life of Joseph so many times, and every time I do, I, I learn something new. 
The story of Joseph is like one big soap opera uh, with betrayal, jealousy, lies, deception, sexual lust, but also restoration. Uh, we, know, we know of several different betrayals in the Bible. I just want to apologize in advance for my cough here. We all know of different betrayals in the Bible, such as Cain killing Abel, Jacob stealing Esau's birthright, Saul attempting to kill David, and of course, Judas selling Jesus to the Pharisees. I really don't have any betrayal stories. Um, really, I mean, the only thing I, need, the only thing I can share with you is, is this past year, some people unfriended me on Facebook, and that's pretty much it. I don't have uh, these crazy betrayal stories, and I'm, I'm grateful that I don't. Um, I think, you know, I know some people, some people love drama, and it's almost like they set themselves up for betrayal to happen. Uh, my wife and I, we just don't do drama. Um, we, just, we just don't, you know. If, if you're, if you're a, a very dramatic person, then um, we probably just don't spend a whole lot of time with you, you know. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Um, I'm, I, I love you, and I'm your pastor, uh, but, um, but we just don't do drama very much. But preparing this message, I was thinking about stories, and my wife asked me what my favorite movie was. And I couldn't really think of one particular movie that I really liked, but I do love sports, and I love sports stories. ESPN has these 6 to 12-minute sports stories called E60, and um, that share about perseverance, courage, and hope. And I love watching these. And I think I also love watching them because they're like, usually like, you know, they're only like six to 12 minutes, you know, so it's like right to me. It like, it, you know, gets right to the point. But it's also, you know, some of them some make me cry. Some of them encourage me. Um, but one of my favorite E60 stories I want to share with you. Ten years ago, Jason McCowan, or J-Mac, as his teammates call him, was a senior at Athena High School. And he has autism and was a water boy for the basketball team. He became an instant celebrity when he got a chance to play the last game of the season. His teammates kept passing him the ball, and he kept on draining threes. He ended up scoring 20 points in the last four minutes of the game which was more than anyone else scored the entire game. With all the students storming the court, I've, and I've seen this video several times, with all the students storming the court, his teammates put him on his shoulder and celebrated. Now, J-Mac is an assistant basketball court, uh, coach for his same high school team. He works in a local bakery to pay the bills, and he has run five marathons and qualified for the Boston Marathon twice. And he has autism. And he continues to push the boundaries of expectation. Some of you may have seen that story. I loved it. I watched it again this morning. And, um, you know, my, my wife uh, really enjoys watching sports with me, which I think is really hot. And, um, and, and, but, but she enjoys it even more when I share about stories about certain uh, athletes and kind of maybe what they're going through right now. And, and, uh, and, she, and it just brings out so much more meaning when she knows some of the stories behind some of these athletes. Well, we're able to take a look at Jesus, who was the master teacher and storyteller. Uh, we would see that he knew how, how powerful stories were in teaching, and so that is why he used them so often. 
Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus often taught through parables. These were simply stories. Oftentimes, they were made-up stories that taught a serious or real lesson. Um, you know, many of you that, that grew up in church, and you've heard some of these stories about, about the wise and foolish builders. Remember that parable? Or the money, money lender and how, um, how the money lender forgives unequal debts. Or the sower of seeds and into the four types of soil. Maybe some of you remember that story. Or the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the lost prodigal son. That's, that's a parable. That's, that's a story. The Good Samaritan, uh, when, when they helped someone that was in need, when everyone else walked right past them. Or the three servants that were given talents, and, and only one was faithful. Those are all stories. Those are all parables that we, many of us learned growing up. And we still remember them to this day because there are stories, and stories speak to our hearts. Because Jesus used this style, it connected with people. Crowds flocked around him to hear him teach and tell stories, and they wanted to learn from the master storyteller. And, and I just feel like we could capitalize and utilize stories a little bit more when we're talking to family members, when we're talking to friends, when we're talking to coworkers, um, because you know, when we tell stories, you know, we, we can tell people, you know, they need Jesus all day long. But when we tell our story about how our life was like before Jesus, what made us come to a relationship with Jesus and how our life's been different, that's your story. And no one can say, well, that didn't happen. Like, it's your story. They can't refute that. And so I really encourage you guys that if you haven't really thought through that before, Think through that, and, and, and when we do baptisms here at the end of the month, you're going to hear people's stories. They're going to share what their life was like before, what, what happened uh, to make them come to a relationship with Christ, and how their life's been different. So I really encourage you to know your story and, and get that down, because you never know when you have an opportunity to share that. Now, I loved hearing stories as a kid as well, even in church, but growing up in church as a kid was boring, dude, with a capital B. It was so boring. Um, I'd have to get dressed up. I'd have to wear these corduroy pants, uh, sometimes suspenders. Uh, sometimes, you know, I went a little GQ and I did the clip-on tie. Um, I promise this is not a clip-on tie. If you're wearing a clip-on tie, that's fine, you know. I mean, you know, everything's coming back, so maybe clip-on tie is coming back as well. Um, you know, we had Sunday school for kids before service, and, and they brought out the felt board. And, man, when they brought the felt board, that was like, that was cray-cray, man. That was just, you know, crazy. The felt board and, and, and just how intense that felt board got. Uh, they didn't have anything for kids during service, the church I grew up in. So you had to sit in service. I remember uh, the choir <clears throat> would be in their robes that looked like bed sheets. I remember the organ music playing. That's the, that's the piano and the organ was the only instrument that we had. Uh, I remember those uncomfortable pews that would just, I mean, um, uh, they were just really uncomfortable. They were really uncomfortable. Um, I remember watching my older brother and sister who were in the bell choir, and they had the white gloves and would play the bells. Anyone have bell choirs growing up? Okay, three people, sweet. Uh, you didn't miss much. Um, but most times, I remember I would fall asleep on my mom's lap, and I would be a sweat ball by the end of the service. And I remember my dad would always, my dad would always have Wrigley spearmint gum or Big Red that he'd give me, and uh, and I would, you know, that would kind of keep me quiet. 
And I, would, uh, I remember doodling on, you know, offering envelopes. I mean, it was just boring, man. But when the pastor shared a story, I, I perked up. And I listened, and I remember those stories that he told. I wouldn't remember anything else that he said, but those stories I would remember. So our hope over the next few weeks is to focus on the life of Joseph, Joseph and to learn through his experiences and the story of his life. Also, we're going to hear from folks in our very own church here at the bridge who have gone through circumstances like Joseph went through and how they were able to overcome. So we want to pick up this story in Genesis 37. This is where Joseph burst onto the scene as a young 17-year-old kid. Early on, Joseph's story is one of betrayal. So we want to really talk about betrayal today. What makes a good storyline is it has twists and turns, that there's betrayal and blackmail. The very thing that we would never want to happen to us in real life, but we enjoy watching, you know, on Netflix or, or wherever else is. But unfortunately, many of us sitting here today have experienced betrayal at one time or another in your lives. Betrayal hurts. And the reason why I believe that betrayal hurts is because the reason it cuts deep is that betrayal is so closely tied to trust. In fact, you can only be betrayed by those you trust. Someone you don't trust, you can't betray. They, they, can't, they, can, they can hurt you, but they can't betray you. Think about that with me for a moment. Every betrayal you have experienced in your life has been maybe by a parent, a spouse, Maybe you've been betrayed by a close friend, a sibling, maybe a coach, or maybe you've been betrayed by a pastor. I don't know. But it was someone that you trusted. Let me set up this story in Joseph's life with a little history so that you know the context. So here you have Joseph was one of, he was 11 of 12 boys born, but was treated as the firstborn. His father, Jacob, or Israel, loved him more than any of his brothers. <clears throat> and Joseph's, Joseph was Jacob's favorite due to Joseph being Rachel's firstborn child. He was given to Leah to marry, Jacob was, but Jacob loved Rachel. And so, and so Rachel's father made Jacob work for his daughter. And so he worked for the next 14 years to marry the one that he really loved. We see that his brothers hated Joseph. It even says that they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Then one day, Joseph has a dream and decides to share it with his brothers. He dreamed that they were binding sheaves of grain, and all of a sudden, his sheaf rose, and their sheaves bowed to his. Of course, when they heard that, they hated him even more. And then Joseph had another dream. This time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to him. <clears throat> Hear me. I don't think Joseph was trying to be prideful and sharing with his brothers and fathers. I believe he was just young and naive. God has had a special calling on Joseph's life. He was revealing that to Joseph through those dreams. Think about what you said at his, as a 17-year-old and oftentimes, you spoke before you thought. I don't know, maybe some of you still do that. I don't know. 
But Joseph did that. So here God's revealing him uh, that he had a special calling in his life, and Joseph is sharing this with his brothers. Maybe so there's some things that he probably shouldn't have shared to them, which just created more um, hatred and jealousy, uh, which would eventually lead to a betrayal. But instead of his family being happy for him, they were threatened by him. We see in Scripture that their hatred rose even more, and they were blatantly jealous of him. The brothers knew that Joseph was special in the eyes of God and their father, and they didn't know how to deal with that. They didn't know. What happens next is all the brothers are with the flocks in Shechem. His father Israel asked Joseph to go check on his brothers and bring a report back to him. And in verse 1 and 2 of this chapter, we see that Joseph had been given the task before and had come back with a bad report. So Israel has set Joseph up to be a tattletale, as if, as if it weren't bad enough that he is the favorite and all of his brothers hate him anyway. Now he has to be his father's spy too. So the brothers had actually just had taken the flocks from Shechem down to Dotham, and Joseph finds them there. And in verse 17, we read, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. What a telling phrase in verse 20. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. They were clearly acting on their jealousy. Think about this for a moment. These were the great-grandsons of Father Abraham. And Father Abraham had many sons. I could tell the ones that really paid attention as a kid in church. The sons of Jacob, they were the couriers of God's covenants. Yet on this day, they were like many families, dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. We see so much dysfunction in the Bible, it's unbelievable. Listen, if you think your family is jacked up, just read the Bible. All right, and it's going to give you a little bit of hope because there's so much, so much dysfunction. In 21, it says, When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Reuben is his brother. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it as they sat down there to eat their meal. So here Joseph was in a pit, completely surrounded, alone, helpless, betrayed by the very brothers he trusted enough to share his dreams with. And after they had stripped him of his robe, threw him in the pit, and openly talked about killing him, they then sat down to eat. 
Like, there's like no remorse for what they just did. Like, they're just planning on their brother to die in the pits. And, you know, they just go out and, uh, and have a little bit of Wendy's while their brother's just sitting in there. When we, <clears throat> we learn later in a candid moment with his brothers what that moment was like for them. And in Genesis 42, 21, it says, We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. They could care less. He's going to die, and they don't care. They heard his cries for help. They saw the agony on his face, and they betrayed him anyway. Betrayal never comes at the hands of the enemy. It always comes from someone you trust. Betrayal always comes from someone you trust. It says they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our very own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes because he thought he was dead. And he went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Reuben and Joseph had a special bond, and he thought he was dead. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Jacob, Joseph's father, is heartbroken. He tears his robes, puts on sackcloth, which is like a rough material, and mourn for his son for many days. Can you imagine, like, like not only like they, were, they wanted to kill their brother, but then they had some... Uh, revelation, and they're like, hey, let's not kill him. Let's make some money off him. But then let's tell our dad that he's dead. Can you imagine what Jacob must be feeling? I mean, I can't imagine, like, you know, if, if, if you know someone that's lost a child, you know the pain and the grief that they experience. So, so Jacob thinks that his son is dead. And so he is just mourning, and, and their brothers don't care that their dad is, is just in turmoil right now. Probably doesn't even want to live anymore. But they don't care. They don't care. Imagine with me for a moment how hurt and confused Joseph must have been as he walked with those Ishmaelites. His very own brothers had just hurt him in a way that he could never have imagined was possible. Now think about how his brothers felt. They didn't feel any remorse. They were excited to be freed from the fear of their brother's dominion over them. They were excited. Remember, 
the pit of betrayal can still produce the purposes of God. The pit of betrayal can still produce the purposes of God. Another way to say it is the pit can still produce the purpose. The pit can still produce a purpose. There is a reason why God allowed this to happen. And Joseph didn't understand it quite yet. And we're going to talk about it in, in, in the coming weeks, uh, what that purpose was. But oftentimes, we put a period where God has put a comma in our life. Our story is still being written, but we give up and write the end. We say, the end. And God's not done. And we still have breath in our lungs, but we don't keep on living. How many of you right now today are putting a... Guys, don't put that up yet. How many of you are uh, putting a comma where they're uh, putting a period where there should be a comma? How many of you are putting a period where there should be a comma. Listen, if you got a pulse, God still has a purpose. If you got a pulse, no matter what your situation, God still has a purpose. It would have been easy for Joseph to give up. He had been betrayed by those closest to him. He was by himself, away from his father for, for the first time in his life. It had nothing to keep him going but the dreams that God had given them. He had nothing but hope. What about the dreams that God put in your heart? What about the dreams that God put in, in, your, in your spouse's heart? The dreams that God put in your family's heart? Have you just given up on that? Or are you clinging on to Jesus and are you clinging on to the hope? That he has for you. For some of us, we have felt like that. Maybe you feel like that now, that your spouse has betrayed you, maybe. Like your supervisor at work has betrayed you. Maybe they promised you a promotion and they gave it to someone else. Or even like God himself, who created you, has betrayed you. What do you do? How do we handle betrayal so that it will produce God's purposes in our lives? As I said earlier, I can't really relate to betrayal. I don't know what you've been through when it comes to betrayal, when it comes to lies, jealousy, but Jesus knows exactly what you've been through and are going through. One writer notes Joseph's symbolisms compared to Jesus and what Jesus, how he was betrayed and suffered before being exalted. Jesus and Joseph went through some of the same hardships. Jesus was greater than his brothers. Jesus had people conspired to kill him. Jesus was betrayed for silver coins. Jesus was falsely accused. And we'll see that, we'll see that next week. we see that Joseph had encounters with two prisoners, the baker and the cupbearer. And who was Jesus hanging on the cross with? 
two prisoners. We see a Gentile bride, how, how Joseph was eventually given Pharaoh's daughter. A Gentile bride. If, if you weren't Jew, you're considered a Gentile. And we see that the church is the bride of Christ. We, see, we, talk, we, we hear about the seven-year hardship. How We'll talk about in, in, in the series how there was a seven-year famine that hit the lands. And how God used Joseph to save the people and to save his family. We think about the seven-year tribulation that's coming. That Jesus is coming back. And tribulation is coming. And then we see the reconciliation of Joseph to his brothers. And Jesus dying on the cross for us. And how that made us be reconciled with him. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And there's nothing that we could have ever done to be reconciled, to be made right with God. He had to come and get us and save us. Because there's nothing that we could have ever done. So let me share a little bit of application here. If you have ever been betrayed, what do you do? What do you do? Number one is you grieve. You grieve if you've been betrayed. Give yourself time to process what has happened in your life. Be honest about the pain. Don't pretend that it didn't happen. Don't pretend that it doesn't hurt. You, you just can't, like, you know, move on and, and not deal with the pain and the hurt. So some of you have been betrayed, but you haven't dealt with the pain and the grief. Some of you are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and you've never dealt with the pain of betrayal. And it's affected you more than you realize. It's affected your marriage. It's affected your kids. It's affected your family. You have to grieve. You can't just push it to the side. You can't just throw it in the closet and say, well, I'm a big boy or I'm a big girl now. I'll just get over it. No, because you're not getting over it. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants that he wants that to be kept hidden in the dark so healing can't take place. Listen, Jesus, I am pleading with you, Jesus wants to heal you, but he cannot heal you if you don't deal with the past pain and the past betrayal. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. So bring that into the light because we have an awesome father who loves you. If your kids went through something, went through a pain or hurt or betrayal, as the parents, wouldn't you want to know and wouldn't want you want to help deal with that? Wouldn't you as a parent? How much more does God want us to deal with that since he's the one that created us? And he's the one that loves us. Listen, it's not by accident that you are here today. It's not by accident that God has brought you to the bridge. We are not a perfect church. We are a loving church. All right? And, and we, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we make mistakes, but we learn from them. And, and we are imperfect people here at the bridge. This place is a hospital. And we're all working through hurts and pain and frustrations and sin. All right, like we're a family and, and family comes alongside of you to celebrate, but also in some of your darkest and, 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 and most 
hurtful times. So it's not an accident that you're here right now. Number two, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. Forgive as much as it hurts. Refusing to forgive or holding a grudge, I guarantee will hurt you more than it did the betrayer. When you are ready, embrace and extend grace. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's what unforgiveness is in your life. It may take some time to do this, but the longer you, you delay, the more you are still held captive by the betrayal. You're alive. We've already talked about that. If you're breathing, you've got to pulse, you're alive. But some of you aren't really living. You can be alive, but not really be living. Because you can't get the past the pain or the injustice that has been done to you. You have to surrender whatever that was to Jesus. And when it comes back up, you got to surrender it again. And, and, you know, it all starts with the thoughts. And, and the enemy, Satan, he's a punk, and, and he just wants to just hold you captive, especially with your thoughts. When you forgive someone and you move on and the enemy comes to give you a thought, you got to say, you got you to call that out. And you say, I've forgiven, I'm moving on, I'm not going to hold it against them because Jesus loves me and he hasn't held anything against me. Jesus knows everything you have ever done or ever thought about doing. And yet he still pursued you. How can we embrace his love and forgiveness if we're not going to extend that to others? You can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. So you have to embrace that love. You have to embrace that forgiveness. You have to embrace what God wants to give to you so you can give that to others. And if you're having a hard time giving that to others, then I have to ask the question, have you fully embraced his love and his grace? Number three, analyze, analyze. It is good, the time of a betrayal, to consider what went wrong. Was it maybe in the air of judgment? <clears throat> Did you trust someone that you shouldn't have trusted? Was it something you could have prevented next time? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe there's nothing that you could have prevented. And maybe, maybe you know, especially if you're a child, you know, there's things happen that happen to us as kids that we can't prevent. We're just kids. But you can script out life, and, and, and you can't script out life, and you shouldn't attempt to, but you should use this as a chance for a healthy review of the parameters in which the betrayal occurred. You know, if someone betrayed you, and then they did it again, and then they did it again, and then again and again, are you putting appropriate boundaries in place so that betrayal doesn't keep on happening? Number four, you need to continue. Continue. You can't allow a betrayal to derail your life. You will always, there will always be betrayers in the mix. They show up unexpectedly, but eventually you will have to trust God and people again. It's the only way to lead a healthy life. 
You have to move on, and you have to learn to trust your Savior, and you have to learn to trust people. We're going to share a, uh, a short video from uh, Andrea Tolchard, who is our office manager here at the bridge. And she's going to share uh, briefly about her story of betrayal and how she was able to overcome. So check this out. Hi, my name is Andrea. Growing up, I was raised in a Christian home. In fact, my dad was a minister. When I was in the middle of actually my second grade year of school, my dad accepted a job offer in West Texas um, in the town of Odessa. So we moved our family from a small town in Indiana to a barren, oil, dry-filled place in West Texas. And despite having to leave everything I knew behind, I loved our new home in Odessa. We were there for about a year and a half, and um, at that time, my dad abruptly lost his job. We were heartbroken, we were hurting, and not having any choice, my family had to move to Michigan and into my aunt and uncle's house. And that's when our lives flipped again. Um, just before Halloween, my grandmother, um, who was in her 70s, suffered um, a ruptured cyst that had been on her spine since birth. And overnight, she became paralyzed from the waist down. She was gonna have to come home and needed a full-time caretaker, so, my family moved in, and my mom became that person. After several months of intense physical therapy, um, my grandmother was finally able to function from a wheelchair and was able to take care of herself. And it was then that the, another opportunity opened up in ministry for my dad, and we were able to move on. A few years after we had moved from my grandparents' home, my mom um, had a conversation with me about that period of hurt and transition. She pointed out to me that if dad had not lost his job there, there would have been no one to care for grandma. Wasn't it a blessing, she said, that we had to go through that hurt so we could be there for our family. She didn't know at the time what had even happened to me in Texas. Our house sat in the middle of a block of homes that had a sidewalk in front of it. And behind it ran an alleyway where everyone's garage is open to. And so we'd pull in and um, greet our neighbors and see them across the way. And my parents even struck up a relationship with an older couple whose house was directly opposite of ours. Um, they were really sweet and kind of like grandparents type people for, and it was kind of cool for the seven-year-old girl who didn't was away from grandparents. Um, the gentleman who lived there, we'd see him with his friends outside it where his shed was um, working on cars and shooting the breeze we'd say hello he'd say hello my, he'd help my dad fix um, his car he even pumped air into my bike at one point in the tire and um, you see I loved my bike my bike had was purple with one of those the hand, those high handlebars and it had that banana seat and I would take it from the garage down the alleyway to the front of the house and do that loop over and over again I loved riding it um, it was during one of those rides that I stopped and talked with this man. I mean, after all, I was a polite kid. My mom had told me it was okay, you know, to speak when I was spoken to, and um, I'd seen them speak with him, and I had no worries in stopping to talk with him. Um, but it was in the course of that brief time there that this grandparent-like figure um, 
inappropriately touched and kissed me. As soon as he let me go, I ran, I jumped back on my bike, I rode away, and I never rode in that alleyway again. I never told my parents. They had no idea what their little girl had suffered, all the trauma that I had gone through. I remember after this incident had happened that my parents had pulled into the garage and were conversing and he was out there and they were saying hello and talking with him and I remember I stayed in the background and prayed I would just go unnoticed. Nobody would notice me. They wouldn't call me forward to speak with him. To this day, I don't remember that man's name or remember his face. And when we left Odessa, I never saw him again, but it was years before I could voice what had happened. As an adult looking back, um, I can see how God wove that horrible experience into a redeemed story of his love and blessing. When my mom spoke to me about firing being a blessing, um, my dad's firing being a blessing, it planted a seed of truth in my heart. That fruit of that truth being that yes, God's provision through that firing was for our family, but it was also a rescue. It was a rescue for a scared little girl. It was a rescue for me. I want to show you one of the last conversations Joseph has with his brothers. In Genesis 50, 20, it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Whatever harm was done to you, whatever betrayal was done to you by someone that you trusted in your life, no matter how young, how old you are, the enemy wanted to use it to destroy you. And the enemy wants to use it to destroy your marriage and your family right now. I think we underestimate how much Satan really hates us. I think we underestimate that. He's no friend. Yet God can take whatever was meant for harm and turn it into something good to accomplish a greater purpose. In God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. In God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. I look forward in the next two weeks as we continue Joseph's stories, as we look at next week, integrity in the midst of adversity. And then our third week, we'll talk about from the pits to the palace and how God restores Joseph and his relationship with his brothers. Remember, the pit of betrayal can still produce the purposes of God. Let me pray for you. God, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for March 6th. God, you are not surprised by our life right now. You're not surprised by anything that we have ever been through. 
you're not surprised what we're going through right now. We call out Satan. Who comes to kill, steal, and destroy? But you have come to give life. And not just life, Lord, but life to the fullest. And God, I know everyone in here wants to live life to the fullest. But we can't do it without you. It doesn't matter what job we get. It doesn't matter who we start dating. It doesn't matter where we move. It doesn't matter, Lord. If we don't have you, we don't have anything. And so, God, there are some people here right now that do not know you as Lord and Savior. Some people in here that have not given you control of their lives, and today is their day, is their homecoming. There's some people, Lord, that blame you for what happened to them. They say if you were a loving God, you wouldn't allow that to happen. And that's just a lie. Because we see that what you endured in this life was totally unfair, but you did it for us. There's some people right now, Lord, that, that something happened to them years ago that they can't get over, that they can't move past. And there needs to be a start for that healing to take place. Lord, they're not, they're not just going to maybe get over it just like t- that today, but there needs to be a start somewhere. And, and, and I pray that today is the start of that healing process. God, that, that people would, would grieve what they went through, that they would extend forgiveness. They would, they would think through what went wrong and, and they would continue, that they would move forward. God, if anyone here does not know you as Lord and Savior, does, maybe has never made a decision, God, all they, have to, all they have to do is just admit that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is coming back again. And he's taken us with us for all those that believe. Are there anyone in here that needs to maybe make a rededication or a first-time decision. If that's you, with all eyes closed, on a count of three, I just want you to slip up your hand, just, just making a, a public declaration of an inward change that is happening right now. With all eyes closed, no one else looking, one, two, three. Raise your hand. I see hands, I see hands. Anyone else that's saying, I'm making a decision today for Jesus. I see your hand. Anyone else? God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for never giving up on us. God, even though we've been through, we've been in the pits, there's a purpose. We love you. We trust you. God, this life is like a blink. And there's going to be coming one day when we finally come home and we're in heaven with you. And we see you face to face. And we know it's all going to be worth it. Lord, no more betrayal, no more hurt, no more sin, no more pain, no more cancer, no more death, no more dying. Just perfect love for all eternity. We long for that day, God. We long for that day. Just help us to be faithful with today. In Jesus' name, amen.